Welcome, White Men Warriors, to Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. When you lead yourself first, others will line up to follow. I'm Chaplain Captain Bill Petrie here with our Wing Violence Prevention Integrator, Jeff Huffman, and a very special guest, Second Lieutenant Wayne Levon. Lieutenant Levon, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. I've heard a little bit of your story, and I'm so grateful that you want to sit down and tell our base, tell our wing, uh, what you have gone through to get to where you are today. You are in for a special treat as you hear this story unpacked in a way that uh, most airmen don't get a chance to tell it. So, Lieutenant Levon, Tell us a little bit about your story, and um, we'll just jump and dive right in. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm Second Lieutenant Wayne LeVan. I've been in the military for 13 years now, so obviously I'm not a brand-new Second Lieutenant. I was a Mass Sergeant before I commissioned, and as I was telling you guys earlier, made Mass Sergeant really fast by most people's standards, so I made Mass Sergeant about 10 and a half years, which seems impressive to a lot of people. Um, what's more impressive to me, though, is that I did that with an Article 15 within the first six months at my first duty station. So uh, you re rewind uh, back to many, many moons ago, 2008. So I had just gotten exceptionally well qualified on my duty position evaluation, feeling really good about myself. And then that night, um, ended up getting in trouble for underage drinking. We had had a rash of issues at, at Minot, which was my first duty station of alcohol-related incidents. And so the commander was like, hey, you know, this is you know bad timing on your part. We're going we're gonna to have to do something pretty big here. We're going to make an example out of you. I said, okay. I didn't really know what that meant because I was so new to the military. And so I ended up getting an Article 15. I got a suspended stripe for six months, which was really the only good thing that happened. Um, I lost my badge and beret, pretty humbling. Restriction to base, extra duty, forfeiture of some pay, UIF and control roster. So just about everything a lieutenant colonel can do to an A1C. We've all seen that list. It's pretty substantial. So kind of started a little bit going behind the start line. I kind of put myself in this hole at that point. And I think for a lot of people, it's that's that tough moment of what's going to happen next. And I'm, I'm no different. So I thought to myself, like, this could potentially be it. And so I was very, very fortunate that at that time, I was part of a specialized unit. And there was a tech sergeant there by the name of Derek Edmonds. And Derek was like, hey, come sit down. We'll, we'll have a conversation. And I was okay with talking to anybody at that point because nobody was talking to me because I was a kid that just got in trouble. So everybody was kind of just casting me aside. And so just a little bit of conversation would go a long way for me in that moment. And he sat me down and was very fortunate Derek had been in trouble before um, that he had gotten article 15. And so he sat me down and he said, Hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity. It's going to, it's going to suck a little bit. I'm, I'm going to, you're going to earn it. You're going to earn your, your spot back, but I'm gonna take care of you. And one day you're going to understand what that means and, and, and why it's important. And at the time, I was I was just grateful that somebody was willing to do anything. So I was like, yes, whatever that means. And so he went and advocated to leadership and got me to get CRO'd underneath him. And for the next probably six months or so, I would say, I mean, just painful. Um, worked in a warehouse. It was a supply section. So it was moving stuff, building stuff. I mean, 
you name it, I did it. Um, hey, all that stuff that's out front of the building, it looks terrible. Go clean it. Uh, <laughs> just all these things. And at no point in time did he really like sit down and talk to me about it. Like, here's what I'm doing behind the scenes for you. It was just, uh, hey, tomorrow morning when you get to work, here's what I need done. Okay. So, so let me get this straight. So you come into the military as a cop. Yep. And within the first year, how how, how far into your your out of basic training yeah, was so, this? So I was in uh, technical a little longer because we had Christmas exodus and stuff, so we were extended. And so I had basically been in the military total a year at this point. So my first duty station, I got there in February, and this happened right around August, so six months. Wow. First duty station. So if you're if you're getting this, so he's been in the military a year, and he gets pulled over and stopped for underage drinking. Yep. Is it, this correct? Yep. Uh, essentially, your first duty station, you just checked in, mm-hmm. and you get an Article 15. Mm-hmm. That's that's career ending. Oh is yeah. It? Oh yeah. So ev- basically, um, there were a, a line of people that were willing to tell me that. They were willing to tell me like, "Well, man, uh, you had a good run. We had we had high hopes for you." Oh wow. All right. And and I think that's like super super disheartening too. And some of those people probably didn't mean it the way it was coming out, but that's how it was coming out when they were trying to, in their mind, maybe be encouraging. They were they were saying things like, "Well, you gave it all you had." Well, maybe you'll better luck in your next career. Um, so that was kind of the vibe everybody had. And I was I was fortunate that my direct supervisor, my flight chief Brandon Feldman, they they were willing to go to leadership and, and fight for me and advocate that I didn't lose my spot on the team that I was on. And they're like, look, now maybe their verbiage wasn't great, right? It was a let's not pawn our trash off on anybody else. Um, but they were like, hey, let us keep him. We can re- rehabilitate him, and and they did. Um, as best they could. Yeah. So I have a, I have a qu- quick question. Um, so when you get this article 15 and, and you know, it, it's, you know, devastating and you mm-hmm. don't understand everything, what was worse? Like all of the hard work that you had to do, you know, that was laid on you or sort of the, the ghosting that went on? Oh, the stigma for sure. Yeah. So uh, it's funny the way you worded that, right? So you get the you get the article 15 and you don't understand it because right. you've been in the military for 6 months. So you have no idea. I remember signing forms and having no idea. You know I didn't submit uh anything for my first CPR that obviously is a referral. I submitted nothing in writing. Because no one sat me down and was like, "Hey man, this is your opportunity to tell your side of the story." It was this lackluster, "Hey, do you want to submit something for your EPR?" And I'm like, "I don't I don't know what an EPR is." <laughs> so, no. Um, but like, so that those kinds of things, right. But the stigma that you yeah. get around you. So people that you thought were your friends, well, now they can't talk to you in public because if leadership sees them all to hang out with that bad kid. Right. Um, and so nobody, nobody wants to come to you. Nobody wants to give you opportunities. Um, but I, I say all that there were a couple people, right? So my first supervisor, um, he's retired now, Eric Argentary. And I, he tried to put me for BTZ. Tried. Wow. Right. Uh, he made them tell him no. He tried to give me a five on my EPR. He made them tell him no. And so he was trying. He was, But he, him and Derek were really close. They were um, best friends. And so he knew that I was doing everything I could to recover from this. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone to think, like, this is indicative of who I am. Because it's not. I made a mistake. I get it. Um, I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's okay. A lot of people do it. Not everybody gets caught. 
So it it kind of kind of sucks to have people that you thought had your back mm-hmm. now that just don't associate with you anymore. Yeah. Because if they do now, they were in trouble too. So it's super so uncomfortable. So that, that was the most difficult. Oh, way more difficult. To walk around a, a cop squadron with no badger beret. I mean, that's, and this is back in BDUs, a little right. dated mm-hmm. on the story, right? But you just have your badge right there on the front left right. breast pocket. Well, I don't have one. Right. And so everyone can see that. That's a visual representation. That's mm-hmm. a scarlet leather. Oh, in, for sure. In a lot of ways. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I've, you know, I've often wondered sometimes uh, does, does the punishment really, you know, equal the, the offense? And, and in your case, it sounds like, you know, they they needed to make an example. Mm-hmm. Your number was up, yep. and they and uh, and you were the example. But the thing that was more difficult was the the loss of that identity that yep, you, you had sure. built over that six month period. So yeah, I know that's that's got to be tough. Um, kudos to uh, the the men and women that stood by you I appreciate and that, yeah. and great people. Uh, yeah, um, they they really had uh, an influence that mm-hmm. you can see. So. So tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, how that decision was made. You know, obviously you just completed, you just became qualified, so you're excited. You want right. to go celebrate, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? right. Uh, and I tell I, I tell the FTAC class I, uh, that I, I speak to all the time that, you know, mm-hmm. alcohol is not really the enemy. Mm-hmm. It's how we use alcohol and, and how it, it is a drug, and if you don't know how to manage that drug – it um, it can come up and bite you. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that side of the story and how that ended that that manifests itself that night. Yeah. So uh, like you said, good job that day. Really excited. And I remember we had a, a group of friends, and we we're like, hey, you know, let's do something tonight. Now we're in Minot, North Dakota. Uh, the base is separated from the town by about ten miles. The town's not huge, much like probably Warrensburg size. I would I would guess. Not a ton to do, especially if you're an underage guy. You're not exactly going to the bar or anything. So we were, we'll get together, we'll, we'll hang out, we'll, we'll drink, and we'll have a good time. Obviously, being unregulated at you know 19 years old, no one there to, to babysit you, that can get out of hand pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So it, it did. Um, some people got out of hand, and that's what l- led to law enforcement being called. And then once they were called, it was pretty much the gig was up for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of bad decisions. And I think we talked about this earlier. So. Mm-hmm. Wise man told me you're, you're the sum of your five closest friends, and I was no different in that moment. I was exactly who, if you <laughs> if you could average it out, I was right in the median. Um, whether I was a leader within that group or not, the decisions that were made for all that, I was um, definitely Im- implicit. Like I was a huge part of that. Well, and and again, nothing wrong with wanting to celebrate. I mean, a couple of things, you know, the underage piece, and and I think. Um, you had made a comment uh, in, when we spoke earlier on the phone about, um, you know, the the cost of that, and and now understanding that how far be- behind it put yeah. you, yeah. Uh, you know, it was really, I I could wait. I I, I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, and I think if someone had been able to maybe sit me down and, and have that conversation, so a couple things, right? So I joined the military. I'm going to be a chief. I know that in my head. That's where I'm heading. Someone had sat me down and been like, "Hey, man." this is going to make it really, really difficult for you to continue to progress your career. Mm. I probably would have listened. If someone had sat me down, I, I never thought I was going to commission. So let's get that. Like I commissioned as a master sergeant. That's way late in the game. I didn't think that this was going to be my future. If someone had sat me down and been like, Hey man, you could not only commission, you could do it much sooner in your career. Cause yeah. why did I have to wait till after 10 years? Well, I had to wait because I have to have enough 
good stuff on top of that bad thing that the board will look at it favorably. Right. Because if I had applied as a four-year staff sergeant, that board's going to be like, absolutely not. You got an Article 15 three years ago? Not interested. So I had to show them over that body of work, like, look at the things I've, I've given back. I've, I've done my time. Hopefully I've, I've atoned for the mistake. Please give me a chance. And like I was on the chaplain earlier, I think in that moment you're like, oh, this is going to be easy. Um, so let's say six months later probably is about the time I got my badge and beret back. And so you're like, oh, you're back. You made it. Yeah. It's not the case, right? So I was at Minot for four years. And at the end of my four years, it was my going away party. And at my going away party, so some brief background on my time at Minot, I'm getting ready to leave. I have a line number for staff. I, I'm the reigning group airman of the year. Just got DG at ALS. Got an aerial achievement medal, accommodation medal, two achievement medals. Wow. Like things are going pretty well. And as I'm walking out of my my uh, going away party, this mass sergeant stops me. And he says, I can't believe how far you've come. I didn't think you'd be here. That's what you wanted to say to me today? Yeah. Four yeah. years later? Like, that's what you wanted to bring up? Thanks for yeah. thanks for that. And, and honestly, he, he may not have meant anything by it. That right. It may not have, but it's what he, it's what he said. Right. He, he, he probably intended it as a compliment. Probably. But it was backhanded in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah, I, I can see that, it's yeah. Reinforce the negative. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm doing some, you know, I'm a nerd and by, and my trade is, you know, stats and, and so I'm doing a little math here from what I gather that starting line goes back six years from, from your starting point. Like Mm -hmm. if had you had, you said you had to start backwards and Mm -hmm. and get back to to start. And I, I just calculated that like six years, you know, and, um, that that is amazing that you were able to to come through that and build from you know this the setback to so how do you what do you attribute uh, sort of your internal driving mechanisms behind that, yeah, that I, progress? I think part of it is um, really just doing will, being willing to do some soul searching and to yeah. look at yourself and say like I'm clearly not where I thought I'd be right now in my life. Um, I think we talked about earlier hardest phone call you had to make when, when that happened, I had to call my mom mm. and tell her like, Hey, I know I've been doing this thing for uh, almost a year, six months at my first duty station, but probably coming home soon. Career's probably about to end. That's, I mean, that's humbling. You want to talk about going back to the bottom like that's You can't get any lower than that. And so to have to have that conversation and talk about disappointing her, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, this is not who you thought you were going to be. This is not where you thought you were going to be. So you, you got two choices there. You can, go left and allow them to paint you exactly who they think you are. And you can, you can be that guy and you can be the guy that um, is a constant mess up and can't get right. As some people will label, label it, or you can do the harder thing and you can be willing to do the 45 days of extra duty, which are, are, are not easy depending on where you work. Um, you can be willing to, to put up with the negative stigma and to put up with those mass sergeants that say those things and, and, and shake their hand and smile and say, thank you mm-hmm. and, and walk away. And, it, it almost becomes a little bit of, and I think when I first started, I had like this weird like vendetta, like I'm going to prove everybody wrong um, to the point that I would get these accolades and I would shake someone's hand and walk away and take that thing and throw it in a box, whatever it was. Coin, award, didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's going in a box, don't care, put it in the closet. Backwards way of looking at things a little bit. I, I found it was really hard for me to be like happy in the moment of mm. whatever the achievement was. It was great. Thanks for that. I'm moving on to the next thing now. Mm. 
And so you got to kind of rein yourself back in because if you, if you do that and you take that hard road and you get calloused mm. kind of yeah. by doing that, I think it does a disservice to the people around you. So I, I don't know that I was necessarily taking care of everyone that's around me the way I needed to. Cause I was like, Oh, what's my next thing? What's my next thing? And so you got to kind of dial that back in and take the time to say, well, what are my airmen going through? How can I help them? It becomes yeah. important. So in, in telling your story to me earlier, I recognized that you didn't do this alone. Um, and it wasn't an easy journey. Uh, you had a tech sergeant who, who said what to you. And right. I think that's really important to, in the share in this story because, um, Getting up on your feet again after an Article 15, it, it feels like it's paralyzing, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Um, and, and your supervisor, your your, your flight chief, yep. what did he say to you? So so Derek took me aside, and, you know, and he said, this is going to make sense later. And at the time, I was like, cool, dude. I'm just excited you're giving me an opportunity. So, like, the it'll make sense later thing kind of missed me, to be completely honest, in that moment. Um, fast forward... So my, I'm at my third duty station. When I get to call that Derek has leukemia and uh, he ends up passing away, which is super, super unfortunate. And even then, I just got to my duty station. I got there and I was looking at the board. So we had this big whiteboard and it had all the airmen listed on it. And if you're a squad leader, your name's across the top of your squad. And as I'm looking at the names on my squad, I'm like, wow, I seem to have a lot of people that people have labeled troublemakers or, or lost causes, kind of like the land of misfit toys. And I'm like, okay. Cool. So I go to my flight chief, who's a great friend of mine to this day. And I said, hey, man, is this is this a joke to you? Like, what what is the deal with this? And he was like, no, you got it. And I said, okay, I'm going to take them. And when I make them in the superstars, they're, they're still mine. You don't get it back. And they kind of, everybody kind of scoffed. And they're like, okay. And I remember sitting down with each one of them individually and talking about their, you know, whatever their situation was. And really, really connecting with one, Sebastian Jenkins. And he was, he was the kid that was labeled. Um. Even even the deployment that we were just getting ready to go on. Um, I was only in the unit for maybe about a week before we deployed. And the morning we're getting ready to deploy, I'm looking around like, where are all my troops? Sebastian's not here. Calling his phone, can't wake him up, can't find him. They're like, some people are, you know, oh, it's Sebastian, not shocking. And I'm like, what? what is going on? I noticed his car's across the street. He's there, he's asleep in his car. He got there early to make sure he wasn't late. <laughs> and then fell asleep with his car. And so, but in that moment, everyone's like, oh, can you believe this kid? He's going to miss a movement. And he's exactly who we think he is. He was trying so hard to do the right thing. Right. And and it just, it, it went bad on him, you know? Mm-hmm. And that kind of became a little bit of, of the, the story for him. And so we go on our deployment and I get really, really close to him, spend a bunch of time and we start rebounding and we start doing these things. Like, how do we, how do we get your career back? What do you want? Do you even want to do this? And I think that's really important. Yeah. The military is not for everyone. It doesn't have to be your entire identity. Do you want to do this or not? It's that simple. Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, okay, well, how do we prepare you for the next thing? Well, his in his case, he was, I don't know that I want to stay security forces. Hey, man, too easy. What do you want to do? I think I want to do battle for airmen. Okay, great. I know some guys over there. I can get you a tour over there. You can spend some time with them, decide which, you know, discipline you want to be in, and we can work that out. But no one's going to let you go with a stack of stuff in your piff. You, you're going to have to turn the corner. It's going to take some time. We're going to rebuild you a little bit, get a couple of really good EPRs probably in there, and then maybe they'll, they'll look favorably on you. And so we, we were doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were doing really good things. And I remember my commander even making a comment, of, um, look how far Sebastian's come. It, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Sebastian was like the first troop I think that I had to start calling me dad. So I had like, I, and you said it earlier, you probably have a bunch of uh, sons and daughters across the Air Force. I do. I have this group of airmen that if you go in my phone right now, the, the first thing they'll say is dad. I'm like, what's <laughs> up, man? How's it going? And they'll ask me ra- random questions, right? And it ranges from um, how long do I bake chicken in the oven <laughs> to <laughs> that's great. I think I want to get married. How do I talk to her dad about it? And so it's, and that's probably the most humbling thing in the world to know that this young man is like looking for life advice. Yeah. That, right th- that all right there is what Derek was talking about. It'll make sense. Yeah. And, and it, now it does. Right. So when I was working with Sebastian and we were doing these things and we were turning things around, it made sense to me. And as I look across, um, one, another one of my airmen, one of the ones that calls me dad, just got a DUI probably about a year ago now. And I had, uh, in a weird way, I'm not in his chain of command at the time. I end up go picking him up from jail, bailing him out with his uh, wife at the time. They're both very young. She has no idea what to do. Mm. So, and leadership kind of, I unintentionally kind of hung her out to dry where the shirt was on vacation, the commander was busy, like nobody was going to get him. So I just went and did it. But she's like standing there, like I don't know what to do. Like, well, talk to one of those bail bondsmen right there. Let's find out how much money we got to put up and let's let's get the money going, let's get him out. And, and he's on the road to recovery right now. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we're talking about, hey, man, how do we, how do we build you back up? And, and indicative of who he is, they've already given him his staff sergeant strike back. So it's not like this is some run-of-the-mill. This is a, one of the better airmen I've ever had mm-hmm. set back, got busted down to senior airman, has since had that set aside, got his strike back, and is now working towards the things I went through. Now it sucks because as the, the mentor in that situation – I tell them all the time, learn from what I did. Please don't live it. Yeah. You know, he's living it. And, and, but it's going to make sense for him one day. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be able to give back one day. Right now, he's still a little bit, I would say, he's trying to rush the process a little bit. So he saw the things that I did and saw where I ended up. But no one sees the journey, right? They just see the start and the finish. Yeah. Everyone thinks Michael Jordan came out of his mother's womb. Just the best pooping. basketball player. It's yeah. right. It's right. Well, LeBron's the best basketball player. But yeah, anyways, well, yeah, okay. Neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I think he's... Well, my era. It is, your, it is your era, for I sure. I bought his shoes back That's right. Then, right? It, well, I will say that. LeBron's shoes are not great. Um, but as an Ohio guy, like, yeah, it's right. got to be LeBron for me. Right, right? I understand. And um, he is a great basketball player. No, he is. No debating that. Uh, you're 17, still yeah. winning championships? Yeah. Unheard of. <laughs> but it feels like he's trying to rush that process. Like, he doesn't want to pay those dues... He's yeah. like, oh, well, you, you made Master Sergeant. You got the commission. Hey, man, that, it took a decade. Yeah. yeah. It it's doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And so yeah. just recently we were having a conversation. He was trying to get them to um, lift his code so he could PCA. And they told him no. And he threw a little bit of a fit about it. And he, he texted me. He's like, I can't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> you do kind of have to pay for Life's it. Life's hard. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like probably the next day they texted me and he was like, okay, I get it. Like, it's fair. I don't love it, but yeah. I'm just going to do the best I can here right. and get ready for the next thing. Okay. That's all anyone's asking you to do. And that's, and that's what you mentored him to do. Right. And that's what was mentored for you right. as well. And that's the legacy that has started with your friend. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to put a number on that or a value on that, but it's um, life altering. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, and so in that vein, uh, fast forward up, I mean, you went through um, OTS not too long ago. Yeah, so I graduated and last December. And that didn't, um, and, and this Article 15 still hasn't mm-hmm. come off of your record. Yeah, so, so you. T- tell that story just briefly. 
so I told you about my going away. So I was like, at, in that moment, I'm like, all right, this is the last time anyone's going to bring this thing up. I'm PCSing. I'm going to get a fresh start. It's going to be fine. I get to my next base, and it's all selectively manned. So everyone got hired there. And I remember one of the comments was, I don't even know how you got here with an Article 15. Your uncle must be a colonel. Well, no, I don't have an uncle that's a colonel, but thank you for you yeah, know thinking that's, that. That's encouraging. Right? <laughs> welcome, got, welcome to the base. <laughs> I got here the same way you got here. Someone hired me, but it's fine. <laughs> so um, there wasn't a whole lot past that at that assignment. But I get to my my next assignment, and that's the the one I commissioned from. And really, there everybody was pretty pretty good about it. So when I would bring it up, most people were just kind of shocked by it, you know, because I got there, wasn't there super long, made tech, um, wasn't there much longer, made master. And so everybody was just, it was more of a shock when I would tell them, hey, I have an Article 15. And I remember I used it to connect with my airmen. So then I go to apply for OTS and I'm like, all right, but this package, and already it's like this long, arduous process. So it's already kind of daunting. And in there, because I have an Article 15 for underage drinking, I have to get a letter signed by my commander that's a, a morale or moral waiver. And I remember my commander sits me down and he said, you got to be kidding me. No, sir. This is what the regulation says. I have to have it. He said, dude, that was over a decade ago. Yes, sir. I understand. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to sign it. So he writes in, in such a good, like, well-written, well-spoken person. He's actually my career field manager right now. He writes this flawless letter, and he's like, look, I'm aware of what happened. You can't do it again. You know, what am I at the time, like 29, 30 years old? He said, it, it's fine. So then I, I go to OTS, and I'm like, all right clean slate I'm about the commission no one's gonna know about this it's gonna be fine and we're like probably 10 days from graduation or something so it's a nine-week process 10 days from graduation and I get pulled out and they said Ex- uh, explain to me this article 15 and I said no and they're like, excuse me so I'm not gonna do that with you I'm not I'm not interested in this conversation because I already had to explain it in my package already a board of your peers sat down and looked at this and said they thought I was good enough to get a chance to commission I've done all the things you've asked me to do here, checked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. All I have to do now is walk across that stage and get a diploma, and I'm going to commission. I'm not going to explain this again. I'm, I'm done with it. And it was back and forth a little bit, and before finally they were like, all right, go. Why did we even, why did that even get brought up? It doesn't make any sense. And, and honestly, it creates this kind of weird mm-hmm. dynamic to where I get here, spend a little bit of time on flight, and then I go to tech school, no one's talking about it, right? Uh, but at tech school, I get a phone call. Hey, we need your resume. You're gonna um, you're gonna interview for the wing exec position. I'm like, oh boy, have you ever seen a second lieutenant wing exec? <laughs> Doesn't happen a whole lot, right? So I'm like, all right, well here we go. So I write my resume and do my interview with uh, Colonel Schreiner, phenomenal. And uh, he's like, hey, I think I'm gonna hire you. I'm like, all right, that's great. But I get up there, and because of all those things through my career, I'm like, oh, does he know? If he doesn't know and he finds out later, is he going to be upset? I, I don't know. So I'm like, I, I got to tell him. So I go in that night and I talk to him and he kind of laughs at me and he's like, okay, man, have a good day. And I'm like, oh, that's it? I'm like, no, I have an article 15 in my history. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. What does that have to do with anything right now? That right. was over a decade ago. Yeah. And, but I, but you, because of all those things, and I think that's a really important part, because every time something really cool was happening or something, I was going to do the next thing and someone wanted to bring it up again. You almost get conditioned yeah, to feel like I have to lead with this. Yeah. Hi, second Lieutenant Wayne LeVan. I have an Article 15. Yeah. Like, because yeah, I have if it you, passed. Because <laughs> if you don't, someone's inevitably going to find yeah. it later mm-hmm. and bring it up. Yeah. And it's so kind of discouraging mm-hmm. when it happens. I, 
all the people that brought it up, and even, you know, let's go back to the when OTS when it happened. I'm sure there was a reason that I wasn't told and why we even had the conversation. They probably didn't know it was going to upset me in the way that it did. They probably were not prepared for my response, for sure. They thought I was going to explain it. No, yeah. <laughs> not interested. When I had to go talk to Colonel Barone about it to get my letter signed from him, such a humbling experience to have to go in there and be like, hey, sir, I, kn- I know that you just selected me as the NCO of the year for the group, but now I have to talk to you about this thing that happened. And, you know, he's such a phenomenal guy. He was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I know, but it's it's what we have to do. And he's like, all right, whatever, dude, let's move on. So, <laughs> have a good day. Yeah, he's like, get out of my office, please. Well, that kind of brings up a, a question for me is, you know, as a supervisor and mm-hmm. what, 10 years uh, an NCO before you became commissioner? Yeah, so tw- 12, 12 total. 12, 12 total. Yeah, um, you certainly saw in your time, um, you know, airmen that brought with them mm-hmm. things from their your civilian career mm-hmm. that, you know, that um, maybe motivated or was a part of some of the decision-making that, that uh, didn't go very well. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you, um, how do you think, you know, as a, as a young uh, newly commissioned officer, how do you think that knowledge impacts uh, their choice? Uh, and, and, you know, and as a supervisor, how, how did you deal with some of that and, helping uh, airmen feel that, um, you know, some of the things that they, they went through, um, they had to go through to, to grow. Yeah, so, well, I want to start with, like, when I was a young staff, I was not a great supervisor. So there's some airmen that I supervised on as a staff that would tell you I was, I was great. They were probably super good performers, and I probably just took care along of them along the way. Those that were not performing well probably would give you a different story and say that I was really, really hard on them. And I will admit there was not a ton of empathy um, from me at that time because I'd become calloused, right? I'd, I'd become that person I was describing earlier. Mm-hmm. And my whole entire mindset was the mission. We will succeed. We will complete. The, and I would, at the cost of the people. Yeah, and you were on in the next thing. You were, right. Yeah, so yeah. so I, I, it took me a long time to develop that side. And it probably was, you know, when I was a tech, I really started to make the transition. As a mass sergeant, I felt like I had I had achieved it, the transition of uh, an airman coming to you and being like, hey, sir, I, I, I wrecked a vehicle. Okay. Well, first of all, is everyone alive? Yes. All right. Well, what happened? Well, I backed into a light pole. Okay. Did, did you have a spotter? Um, no. Well, that's probably our first mistake. We could probably correct that next time with a spotter. But I, 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 I transitioned to not being this guy that was going to jump down your throat yeah. over a $30 taillight. And that's not to say that I don't care about the fleet. I understand that mistakes happen. And, right. I, and I think you have to be willing to, to now say, okay, maybe we did miss this person in training. We didn't tell them they needed a spotter. That happens very mm-hmm. rarely, but maybe that happened. Maybe this person's never been in trouble before, has backed this vehicle up a thousand times, and this one time had an accident. And that's okay, too, because I bet you if I handle this the right way, they don't do it again. Right. And so for you to ask, like, the stuff people go through. So really good example. Excuse me. I had an airman. We had trouble with this dorm room. Just couldn't keep it clean. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a 31-year-old man. I got, I got four sons. Um, my six-year-old keeps his room clean. Yeah. I tell him to. So I don't understand how you, being an adult, can't clean your dorm room and why I'm here, right? Why I'm getting pictures from the first sergeant that I can smell through the phone. That's how like, these <laughs> pictures look. <laughs> like, what is, what is the deal? What is happening? 
but it took some time to talk to the, the young man and find out that he was raised by his grandmother. Well, that's a dynamic shift a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. And his grandmother did everything for him. Right. So now, by peeling back those layers, we're saying that maybe there's some underlining issues here. Maybe it's not as simple as you can't keep your room clean. Maybe you don't know how to do laundry. Right. Right. So, like, you got to kind of take that step back and be willing to have that conversation of, hey, man, this is not to be funny or rude or insulting. Do you know how to do laundry? Because if you don't, let me show you how to sort it, how to right. put it in the washer, how much soap to use. To use soap is a great starting point. <laughs> yeah, um, but to, like, do these things and – I think that you have to be willing to, to step back and look at the, the person holistically and say that, as you said earlier, you, you can't just put someone through basic training, stamp them, complete, and, and package them off and send them. Right. They're not all built the same. Right. Each individual case is different. you got to be willing to look at a person. There are some that just are never going to make it in the military. They're never going to adapt, and that's okay. Yeah. If this was for everyone, everyone would be forced to do it. How do you help them succeed at their next thing? Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's about. It, it is unfortunate some people take advantage of that and they abuse the system and they continue to cause more trouble. Right. Um, but not everyone is that way. Some of them just, no one's ever held them to a standard. And we can say that basic training holds you to a standard. Sure. But a monkey can stand on its head for eight weeks if it has to. Right. It's uncomfortable, right. but they'll do it. And so to get someone through that doesn't necessarily mean that they've, they've changed. It means that they changed long enough to make it through this indoctrination. Well, and even in basic training, in the ca- in the scenario that you unpacked, it's eight weeks, and really you're being told what to do every day. Every so day, every minute. Every minute of every day is scheduled for you, mm-hmm. so you're still not on your own. And when this young airman gets on his own yep. is when he really has to step up, and and they don't know how. No, um, and, we're, and we're working long hours, so now we're, here we are working 14 hours a day. Right. And so in his off time, he just doesn't want to do anything. And I get that. I empathize with that, mm-hmm. right? Right. Because in my off time, I don't want to do anything either, but I got kids banging me in the head with toys. They're <laughs> like, we're going to do something. <laughs> so I, I get that. I, I totally understand that. So, you, you know, you sit down and you make a plan. Okay, cool, man. You can play video games from the time we get off shift yeah. on our last duty day until the day before we come back on shift. And in that morning, yep. I need you to start laundry. Yeah. Right. I, it, I, I, it sounds I, so simple I and kind of dumb, but like to break it down. And, and honestly, with some people, that that simple conversation has been like like an aha moment of, <laughs> oh, yeah, all right, that makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm not right. telling you not to play video games. You mean it's, it doesn't do it by itself? No. Like <laughs> yeah. if you want to stay in your room and shut the door and play video, and that's your escape, and, and that's what keeps you emotionally like and, and mentally ready to come back to work, I get it. Yeah. Go do that. Do what makes you happy please do the other things that we all have to do. We're all required to clean our, our yeah. house. Right. You know, so. Yeah, you have a neighbor across the way is starting to smell you. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, you know, in that particular case, I could smell it when I hit the hallway. Yeah. Like, soon as I, hit, I was like, that's his room, isn't it? And then when we got there, I was like, oh, there it is. It, you know, and a, great, and a great kid, and he ended up making a recovery from that and hasn't been an issue, so. But I think your point is the Air Force, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the big A, inherits um, – 18, 19, 20-year-olds who have diverse backgrounds, diverse experience, life experiences, Mm -hmm. so much so that um, a lot of what is going on before they arrive, they don't want to share with anyone else. I know I didn't want to tell people how poor I grew up. You know, Mm -hmm. I tried to make it on my own and, and had a car and was working and had money but it was all because I of where I came from, and I didn't want to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so 
when you start to, you know, see behaviors, are they really behaviors or are they, you know, just characteristics of their current life, you right. know, where they, where they came from. And, uh, and so, um, credit, credit supervisors, um, uh, that, that take the time yeah. to, to do that. I, and I know, um, time is precious in the military, but I, I said this the other day to uh, a young uh, NCO. I said, you know, we all, we all got 24 hours in a day. That's it. And, um, you know, you can spend your time unpacking some of this and, and, and making the, uh, helping this young person, or you can spend your time dealing with the issues on the back end. Well, and to your point on that, so my question is this. So rarely have I ever seen anything stateside that if we don't get to it this exact moment, the entire mission is going to fail. That if you, as the one staff sergeant that's having a problem today with your airmen, if, if, if you don't go do what you're required to do right this second, this entire mission is going to fall apart. So rarely have I found that to be true. Mm-hmm. You, you could, someone else could probably pick up the slack for a moment, so you can unpack that, and you can have that conversation, yeah. and you can deal with it. You can be relieved of whatever duty you have for that day to go deal with that. Like, you, as a supervisor, have got to be willing to go to your leadership and have that conversation yeah. and say, look, I know I'm, you know, so I'll talk, security forces talk for a second. I know I'm posted right now. I know I'm police one. I'm supposed to be out patrolling. Got that. Can we get another NCO in here to go do that so I can go deal with this situation? And I, I've never seen a situation where that conversation's occurred that leadership's been like, absolutely not. Nope. Get back out there on the road. I've just never seen it. I'm not saying it maybe it wouldn't happen somewhere, but you have to be the brave one to have that conversation right. and say, hey, my airman's going through some stuff right now. Yeah. And, and you can't abuse it. It's got to be the moments where you really need to use it. Genuine, yeah. You can't fall on your sword for everyone, for every situation. Mm-hmm. But take that one second and be like, look, yeah. this, this young man or young lady is going through some stuff. This needs to be dealt with right now. So for those of you out there listening to this podcast, if, if you are listening, that's the definition of the connectedness that we keep hearing in the Air Force, that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that we really need to start thinking about. That's connectedness. It's not about, you know, oh, let's go have beers together. That's a different form of connectedness. Right. Getting down to a full understanding and empathy with your, with your uh, subordinates is important because that's how you help them grow. Mm-hmm. That's how you help them, um, you know, learn how to do the laundry, for example. Right. <laughs> that, that's a huge growth step. And it, it solves a problem that you don't have to deal with later. So, yeah, kudos to you for that. That's amazing. So your story is amazing. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a story of redemption. It really is. And I hear so many different things that have – um, broke open so that you could resolve this Article 15. Um, and, and Jeff, I'm, I know that you're probably hearing all kinds of resiliency things oh, that are just tons. popping up left and right. And um, as young airmen are, are going through things, um, even right now, you, you get a guy that's um, right in the middle of a, a scenario or an investigation on his own on his mm-hmm. own life. What? What would you say to him? What would you say to her about um, the next step? Yeah, so I, I think one is you're going to, like, it's going to be tough, right? So, like, you're going through probably what's going to be one of the hardest times of your entire career. I'm not going to say life, though, right? But career, for sure, we, we, can, we can agree on that. 
there are definitely people I've never seen a situation where it's like this is the first time this has ever happened. So there are definitely people who have been through it. One, how do you, how do you connect? How do you find those people? There are so many resources. I'm on a bunch of uh, mentorship pages on Facebook, social media, all these different things. I think one of them's titled "Us Mentoring Us," and it's just a connective um, group of people that you can get on there and say, like, "Hey, here's what I'm dealing with." Is anybody? And you can post anonymously. You can do all these things, and just kind of get some. Hey, you know, here are some things to think about. I think that's a really good starting point. Um, what I would say for 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 our basis, I'm here. If nothing else, like. I'm, it's so funny to hear me say this. If you had met me years ago, you would have been like, no, he's not approachable. Um, and some of my troops might have said the same thing, but I'm willing to sit down with, with anyone and have a conversation and have lunch or, or coffee. I don't drink coffee. I'll have a monster. <laughs> and we, and we could talk about what's, what's the next step, but you have to be willing to be vulnerable and, and to make the kind of decision of what are you, what do you want to do next? Yeah. As I said earlier, like this is a, a deciding moment for you. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, fight back some people don't have that fight in them um right. or they do and they don't know it but are you willing to to fight back and to to reclaim whatever your original goal was i find it really hard to believe that anyone joins the military and it's like i'm gonna be an a1c for my entire career <laughs> like i just i've never seen it you yeah. know yeah you hear you so many times when you're testing for for rank um you hear people talk about well i didn't want to make it this time so i didn't study so is that <laughs> like you don't like money you don't like you don't like being promoted. I don't understand that. Like that doesn't register in my head. Yeah. Um. Those things don't make sense to me because I'm such a competitive person by nature that I wanted to make chief immediately. Uh-huh. So you probably had some sort of goal or aspiration. Is that still your goal or aspiration? And how do we now? You know that the roadmap has changed slightly. We're gonna take a little bit of an alternate route to get there now, but that's okay. We can still achieve that. How do we get you back on? what's a new trajectory to get there. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to sit down. And for me, it's always helped writing it out, mm-hmm. um, saying, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. Here's some steps. I think I have to achieve along the way. How do I do those things? I can't, you know, as I talked about my, my troop earlier, you can't recover today. Mm-hmm. It can't be over today. You're going to, you're going to feel it. You're going to take your licks and that's okay. You're going to come out stronger on the other side. So, you know, for him, every time he has to go talk to his commander, or his chief or, or whoever, he hits me and another one of his, it's his best friend, um, both in the group chat, and he hits us up and we have a conversation about it and we just talk about it. And for for that brief moment, we, we talk him up and say, look, dude, you can go in there and it's going to be tough. That's okay. Deal with it. And when you come out, call us. Let's have a conversation. We FaceTime all the time. My wife's probably super annoyed and I have so many people that call me all the time. I'm like, <laughs> hey, what's up, man? How's it going? <laughs> hey, I have to take this real quick. Um, but like, how do we, how do we get you back to where you wanted to be? There's always a way back. Mm-hmm. There, there truly is. I, it's really, really rare that I think that you you make a one mistake and you're never going to be able to recover. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be a long process sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And are you willing to wait that out? And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Sometimes you're so young in your career that waiting that out doesn't make sense for what you expected, and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we find the next thing for you? So good. Well, I know here at. Um, at Whiteman, in, in this in this podcast, we call it practicing the pillars, and and so many things that you've said. Um, I wrote down uh, find mentors and seek community, um, writing things out, um, really positive things to to get you started, getting on the next step. And I've realized in my own life 
that it's not just one step. It's it's taking a step and then taking another step. And then you take enough right steps and you end up finding habits that that build um, your character, mm-hmm. build your personality. And um, as a result of those things, the Air Force says, hey, there's an outstanding person. We want this person to lead. And, um, you know, sometimes the one step and two steps, you get discouraged. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's not a quick fix. It's not like you've mentioned several times. It's not uh, it doesn't happen right away. You don't make chief in a day, uh, but we sure want to, don't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. So um, any, um, we really appreciate you telling your stories. Are any um, any last things that you might want to share with uh, with our audience? Yeah. Uh, so I think if I could just on that sure. writing it out thing. So. Yeah. Uh, this is a tool I just recently got, and it's been super, super great. So I had a roommate um, for probably, she lived with us for about a year. So I had this airman. She worked for me at my last assignment, and she was like, hey, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go to ROTC, and I'm going to commission. And I was, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's help you do that. Well, she is every bit of five foot, 92 pounds. She is a tiny little human. <laughs> and where she was going to live was not the nicest neighborhood, it was like the single story, like outdoor apartments. And she showed me and I was like, ah, no, no, <laughs> you, you're not going to live there. And she's like, what's all I can afford? No. So I went to my wife and if you want to talk about a hard conversation, go <laughs> t- ask your wife if your female troop can move in with you. <laughs> and so, um, sat my wife down and was like, look, here's, here's the situation. Here's a scenario. This is one of the best troops, probably the best troop I've ever had in my career. She needs some help. And I've always told my airmen, if you need something, come to me, I've got you. And this really put that to the test and we had dinner with her and my wife and um, my wife's like, okay, all right, move into our spare room. And it worked out phenomenal. So to this day, she, she'll, she's commissioned now. She's in Guam. She flew back for my uh, most recent child's birth, my son's birthday. She just sent gifts to my son's birthday. Like she's family. But anyways, I say, let's say that she had this journal and it's a five-year journal and each day only gives you enough room for like a paragraph maybe. But it's cool because she would tell me things that happened from a year ago or two years ago. We'd known each other for years at this point. She's like, hey, three years ago on this day, you and I were deployed and you did this. How do you know that? She goes to my journal. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's phenomenal. It's kind of cool, right? So she, they bought me one for my, I think my birthday. And I've been writing in it for um, about seven months, eight months. But I think it'll be super exciting to, over those eight months, not every day has been great. There have been some tough days in there. And I think next year when I hit that day and I'm reading last year's entry mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh, I thought that was the hardest day I was ever going to have. Mm-hmm. Boy, was I wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think 2020 has been a good example of that, but I think it's super cool to have that. And to be able to write down, if I had had that when I got in trouble, yeah, I could look back and be like, this was the darkest time. Mm-hmm. Well, look what you've persevered. Look what you've come through. Right. And so I think to be able to just to, and I write in it every single day and it's nothing earth shattering. Like, I don't think if I die, someone's going to read it. Like, yeah, Unlock the secrets of the galaxy, but <laughs> you're going to see in there that I had some tough days and then maybe the next day wasn't so tough. And maybe the next year on that, on that same day, I had a phenomenal day there. I mean, there's peaks and valleys to everything we do. And to be able to write that out has been a really cool tool for me so far. Right. Um, no pressure in it. Right. I don't, if I don't write in it for a day. It's okay. I make it up the next day. It's not a huge deal, but to be able to have that and to, to watch her be able to tell me, she had gone through a divorce and all these things to be able to be like, look, this was the day I got my divorce. Mm. And now look where she is. She's mm-hmm. a commission. She was a staff sergeant when she separated. She's commissioned now. 
loves her life. She lives out in Guam, living her best life on the island. Yeah. Like, and she can look back at all those cool things. I think it's just such a cool tool to have. It's awesome. It is. I have one final question yeah. for me anyway. And it, and it really, it has to do with um, something you shared before we started recording about how grateful you are mm-hmm. that it was you mm-hmm. and so on. And I don't yeah. want to, I mean, you, you share the story much better than me. So yeah, talk about gratitude and how important it is to getting you where you are today. Yeah. So I think you have to look back at your life and, um, you know, for me, my, my father to this day is, a, is an alcoholic, um, which is a sickness and, and I, and I get that, but growing up, there were a lot of things I dealt with as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a bunch of times that I was sad or upset because maybe promises were broken or, or I didn't get things other kids got, or, um, you talked about not being affluent when you were, when you were younger. Um, I envy with that I, or, or empathy with that. I, I, I live that. I know what that's like. And so, but you look at it and I say, okay, I, I dealt with that. And I dealt with the article 15, which maybe could have been handled differently. Maybe it could have been an LOR or these different things, but it made me who I am. It made me stronger because I dealt with all that adversity. And I'm so thankful that it was me who dealt with that. It was me that had the, you know, the childhood that I had because I, I'm okay. And I came out on the other side of that. And not everybody is able to do that. You know, for some people, that would have been earth shattering. That have been, they may have found a permanent solution to a temporary problem, and that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm I'm so thankful that it was me that got the Article 15. I got what was probably the harshest punishment he could have gotten. The only thing he could have done more to me was taken all my stripes. And he didn't do that, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm glad it was me because look, I was able to recover, and I, now I'm able to share that journey with other people, and I'm able to show them that it's not over. Mm-hmm. You can recover from this maybe somebody else wouldn't have done that. And we see examples of that all across the Air Force. Somebody gets in trouble, and that's that's the end of the line for them because they, they give up. So I'm thankful that it's been me that's been handed those cards and that I've, I've been able to deal with them. That's awesome. Yeah. It, there's a lot to be grateful for. Absolutely. Uh, but it's a choice, right? Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So uh, we've come to the end of our broadcast, and uh, I just want to, again, just reach out and just say, hey, we're so thankful for your willingness to tell your story, your vulnerability, uh, your ability to share um, some of those stepping stones that you've had in your life. And, uh, you know, we're just appreciative of the fact that you've had that um, stick-to-itiveness. I I don't know the word to use, but that ability to grit it out and just keep on going, keep on going after each person has brought up your past and brought up the negativity and you shouldn't have been here you probably shouldn't be here now you know, you know to keep on going um and, and you're paying that forward with every troop that you come in contact with and that's an amazing thing and we're grateful for your story um any last things gentlemen oh no chaplain thank you uh mr hoffman thank you thank miss hildebrand for giving me the opportunity to come over here and speak it's been a super awesome uh, day so i thank you guys for putting this together Awesome. He is the man. I like his lead-in song. He is. He's the man. Well, this has been uh, Whiteman Warriors Practicing the Pillars Podcast and signing off.